0: To the Prime Minister, Karen
1: Move on, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, before listing my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in expressing our profound condolences to the family and friends of Corporal Danny Neald of 1st Battalion, the Rifles, who was killed in Afghanistan last Friday. We owe him, and all who have lost their lives, our gratitude for their service. Our armed forces show us week in and week out their courage and commitment and we will never forget those who have shown such dedication. Mr Speaker, this morning I am meeting with Ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further meetings later today.
0: Aron, the whole House will wish to
2: send our deepest sympathy to the family of Corporal Neil. Oh. Mr Speaker, we are experiencing the worst winter weather for 20 years, but new evidence shows that fuel companies are not cutting fuel bills as their costs reduce. And meanwhile, energy giant BP has just posted £14 billion in profits. What urgent further steps can my right honourable friend take to reassure pensioners and families who are worried about their fuel bills this winter?
1: Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, first of all I would like to pay tribute to the emergency services for the way they have dealt with all the uh, troubles and difficulties that have arisen from the cold weather. Uh, We are determined to provide real help to people who are facing difficulties with their fuel bills. Indeed, pensioners who are worried about their ability to turn on their heating at a time when the weather is really cold. So in addition to the money that we have provided through the winter allowance, and that's 12 million pensioners who benefit uh, by 250 or 400 this year, and at the same time the £60 that we're giving to every pensioner uh, now, and it's being paid out in the last few days, I can also confirm that uh, this Monday half a million Uh, vulnerable families became eligible for payments of £25. On On the basis of future weather forecasts, let me also say that 5 million people will get cold weather payments this week, and we will continue to make payments whenever the weather is so poor.
3: Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Corporal Danny Neal, killed in Afghanistan on Friday? We should offer our deepest sympathy to his family and his friends at this time. Does the Prime Minister share my concern at the decision by the US House of Representatives to pass Buy America legislation, and does he agree with me that a retreat into protectionism is the last thing that the world needs? Yesterday, the Prime Minister's spokesman refused to to confirm that he would specifically condemn these moves. Will the Prime Minister make clear his position today?
1: Mr Speaker, I have made it clear uh, throughout the whole of the last few months that the biggest danger that the world faces is a retreat into protectionism. I have also uh, made it clear that as a result of the withdrawal of foreign banking capacity in large numbers of countries we face a downward spiral where these countries cannot borrow from anybody because foreign banks have left. It's all the more reason why, first of all, we should sign the Doha Agreement, and that will feature on the G20 Agenda. Secondly, we should make sure that every country is analysed for what it is doing by the World Trade Organisation to prevent protectionism. And it also is absolutely clear that we should agree as a world on a monetary and fiscal stimulus that will take the world out of depression.
3: David Thank you, Mr Speaker. The two countries that most need to give ground to achieve action on the Doha round, India and the US, will both be present at the G20. As the Prime Minister just said, the aims of the G20 refer to advancing the Doha trade round. Shouldn't we be clear that anything less than removing the barriers to agreement would actually represent a failure?
1: Well, well, Mr. Mr Speaker, I, I tried very hard before Christmas to talk to both President Bush and the Indian Prime Minister... so that that we could make progress on this. There are actually only two two issues that are left to decide. The first first one is a safeguard clause if there is a surge in imports in any poor country. And the second is what are the negotiations on sectorals, that is the different uh, sectors of industry, and how these could be concluded. Uh, By the time President Bush left office, he made it clear that he would uh, be able to accept the wording on the sexual agreements. At the same time, the Indian Prime Minister has said to me that he wants to make progress on the safeguard clause. It is now up to President Obama and the Indian Prime Minister sa- to say that they can now accept the terms of this agreement. If that were to be so, then we would have uh, a conclusion of this first round of the Doha negotiations. And I do say to It is not just in the interest of our country, it is in the interest of the poorest countries in the world who are now facing uh, poverty as a result of the uh, industrial downturn. So these two issues can be resolved and I will work very hard to resolve them in the next few weeks.
3: The point is that if we don't get a conclusion to the Doha Round, the the existing policy space actually allows countries to double the level of tariffs. Everyone can hear that the Prime Minister says it's important to avoid protectionism but isn't he himself guilty of encouraging protectionist sentiment? Does he agree with me that use of the slogan British jobs for British workers doesn't he agree with me using that slogan showed a lack of judgment and does he now regret it?
1: Well well, first of all on, on the trade negotiations themselves let us be absolutely clear that we have done everything in our power The Brazilians have come on board, the Argentinians have come on board, the South Africans have come on board, the rest of Europe has come on board. So it is important that we all use the efforts that we can with other countries to get this trade agreement. And I do say to him that Pascal Lamy, the head of the WTO, has just published a report on what protectionist uh, tariffs are being imposed by different countries during this present downturn. And at the moment, these tariffs are limited, and it is very important that we continue to see these limited. Now, as far as his second question can anybody here say that they don't want British workers to get jobs in our country can anyone here can anyone here say can anyone here say can anyone here say that they can anyone here say that they don't want us to help British workers get the skills that are necessary to get the jobs and let, let me just say also in an open environment in a global economy where there is competition for jobs it is absolutely crucial that we do everything in our power to help people get the jobs that are available that's why we're investing in apprenticeships that's why we're investing in helping the unemployed get back to work that's why we have a new deal that's why we're increasing public investment the pity is the opposition don't support us because they want to do nothing
3: doesn't doesn't the Prime Minister understand that when he spouted his slogan, what he was doing was opportunistic, protectionist, and
0: pandering? Order. Oh, oh, the opposition. Oh, dear. Oh, dear.
3: He, he was pandering to people's fears, and he knows it. This is what the chairman of the Home Affairs Select Committee, his former Europe Minister, had to say. He said the slogan, and I quote, lacks credible arguments, and it appears to amount to a little more than employment apartheid. He was asked to repeat the slogan, and because he's got some judgment, he refused to. So let me ask the Prime Minister again. Isn't the use of this slogan, an error of judgment, a huge mistake, and shouldn't he apologize instead of twisting?
1: Mr Speaker, I have already shown that we are far from protectionists as a government. We are trying to get a World Trade Agreement. I've already said to him, if he doesn't want to listen, I've already said to him, in an open global environment where there is competition for jobs, it is our duty to help British workers get the skills that are necessary for the jobs. And as far as opportunism is concerned, I have to tell him there is nothing more opportunistic than saying in the autumn that he wants to give all party support to the efforts that this government is making to take us out of a global financial crisis and then at the next moment withdrawing all that support. That's opportunism.
3: Doesn't the Prime Minister understand that he's taking people for fools again? At international summits, he lectures the world on the evils of protectionism. But back at home, with his slogan "British jobs for British workers," he's pandering to protectionist
1: fears. Doesn't he understand he's been found out?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Let, let,
1: let, me, let, let, let me just uh, let me just give him, bring him up to date with what's happening in the industrial dispute, so he realises what is going on. There was a NACAS proposal that has been put. There is a NACAS proposal that has been put to the workforce. And I hope that they will now accept that, despite their initial reservations. But I can also tell them today that the Construction and Engineering Association have issued new guiding principles for companies, principles to consider when using non-UK contractors and labour on engineering construction sites. And I hope the whole House will welcome the fact that they now say in the new advice Always consider whether there are competent workers available locally. If there are, it is good practice for the non-UK contractor to explore and consider the local skills availability, and to consider any applications that may be forthcoming. Now, that is the common sense way of dealing in practical terms with the difficulties we face. Doesn't the Prime
3: Minister realise that one of his problems is he refuses to admit mistakes, even when those mistakes stare him and the whole country in the face? He says British jobs for British workers when he knows it's not deliverable. He says he ended boom and bust when we're in the deepest recession for a generation. He says our economy is well prepared when the IMF say we're going to have the deepest recession of all. I have to tell him, he should just look behind him. They are so ashamed of what he said about British jobs for British workers. Let Let me just ask him... Let me just ask him... Let me just ask him one final time.
0: Mr McShane, behave yourself.
3: I don't know why the Honourable Member for Rotherham is shouting it was he who specifically criticised the Prime Minister for using this phrase. He said he said and I quote He said and I quote Every politician, from a Prime Minister down to the most junior member in the House of Commons, has to choose their words carefully. Yeah. Perhaps he'll learn to... <laughs> I, think, I think the Honourable Member's going to have to learn to shout carefully, too. <laughs> Let me ask the Prime Minister one final time. Wasn't using that phrase an error of judgment and a big mistake, and will he make a promise not to do it again? Yeah.
1: Mr Speaker, the biggest error of judgement would be to do nothing during this period of the world downturn. The biggest error of judgement would be to fail to invest in the economy and help people get the skills that are necessary for jobs. Now, we are creating 35,000 apprenticeships. We're helping 500,000 people into work. We're investing in the construction industry to create more jobs. He goes around the world talking the pound down, he goes around the world saying that we're going to have to go to the IMF, he goes to Switzerland and says the British economy is weak. He has decided that it is in he has decided it is in the interest of the Conservative Party to talk Britain down and he should be ashamed of himself.
0: We'll Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm aware of several potential bidders for, uh, to save Wedgwood and the hundreds of jobs in North Staffordshire. And while the administrators seem to be doing a very good job keeping things running, I'm worried that they're wearing, rapidly running out of time. Will my right honourable friend look at what government support can be given to assist the administrators
1: to ensure that Wedgwood can keep running while they consider all potential bidders to save Wedgwood yeah, I, I'm grateful to, to my friend Who's taken a, a huge interest in the, this matter uh, We did try To help uh, Wedgwood uh, Over the Christmas weeks To see if the company could be saved Before it went into administration I'm very happy to talk to him About how we can speed up the process To help uh, British uh, workers here uh, And I'll be very happy to meet him to do so
2: Nick Clegg Yeah. Mr I'd like to add my own expressions of sympathy and condolence to the family and friends of Corporal Danny Neald, who tragically lost his life serving this country and the people of Afghanistan in Helmand province. Mr Speaker, week after week, I've been asking the Prime Minister why he's not getting tough on tax avoidance. Every time he tells me he's doing all he can. This week... This week, newspapers have confirmed that big companies are using loopholes to get out of paying £14 billion in corporation tax alone. Instead of going on about British jobs for British workers, isn't it time he goes on about British taxes for British companies?
1: Mr Speaker, this not only needs the efforts that we're making to clamp down on tax avoidance and tax evasion, it also needs an international agreement. He may be aware that there, are, there is a case in, in America at the moment uh, in relation to Swiss uh, tax avoidance. Once that case is resolved, I believe it's possible to get an international agreement for the exchange of information in relation to tax cases. And that would be the way that we could move forward our uh, proposals that we can have both the freedom of exchange, the, sorry, the exchange of information on tax and clamp down on these tax evaders. Yes. Big plague. He's living in denial.
2: He's the one who created a system. He's the one who's created a system which lets big companies run circles around the Treasury, that lets peers in the other place not pay their full taxes in this country, that lets city bosses pay less in tax on their capital gains than their cleaners do on their wages. He is losing this country billions of pounds that could be used to give big, permanent tax cuts to ordinary families. So why should anyone trust him when he makes one rule,
1: one rule for the fat cats,
2: and another rule for everyone else?
1: I I, I remember that the chief donor to the Liberal Party got in real trouble because he was a tax evader and they never returned the money. Perhaps 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 it's the leader of the Liberal Party that's in denial at the moment. I tell him that we do everything we can, and will continue to do so, budget after budget, to remove the possibility of tax avoidance and tax evasion. It will need, in the end, what I think he should support, an international agreement to do so. I tell him that, in the light of the Swiss case in the United States of America, I hope that we can make big progress on that, and I hope he will support it. Sandra Osborne.
2: Mr Speaker, weekend there were 400 job losses announced in my constituency with the closure of the Stab Works area, the last truck axle manufacturer in the UK and 145 job losses in Girvan where work is being transferred to Norway from one of the few sizable employers in the Girvan area. Will the Prime Minister agree to meet with me to discuss what could be done to help in this
0: situation?
1: Yeah, uh, I know she takes a, a huge interest in uh, increasing employment and making sure there are employment opportunities available in our constituency. And we've talked on many occasions about how we can get more jobs uh, into that area. I'll be very happy to meet her to talk about these particular uh, redundancies and see what we can do. If the jobs cannot be saved, then it's important that we help people get into, uh, back into work quickly. 200,000 people a month are still able to get new jobs, and there are half a million vacancies in the economy. And while I understand the feelings and the sentiments of people who are in danger of losing their jobs, and I feel for them at this difficult time, we will do everything we can to help them back into work. John
0: Pugh.
1: Thank you, Mr Speaker.
0: Given the decision... (laughs) Given the decision yesterday by Ocean Parks and Pontins to create 2,000 new jobs and invest 50 million in seaside resorts, 10 million in Southport, does the Prime Minister agree that even in a recession, especially
1: in a recession, the time is right to promote British holidays for British and non-British people? Yeah. I, 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 I agree with him about the importance of the announcement by Pontins yesterday that they will have a 50 million expansion uh, plan. And I know that Southport will benefit from that with extra jobs I can also tell them in addition to that that Southport will receive a four million pound grant to help create a new cultural center in the area under the department's sea change program which aims to boost regeneration in coastal areas so we will continue to do our best both to create jobs and to boost the British tourism industry which I believe will do well this summer
2: Jim Cunningham thank you. Yeah. thank you very much Mr. Speaker. Given the need for social housing and given the need to retain skills in the construction industry and given the need for people to be able to get mortgages will my honourable friend consider the introduction of uh, allowing local authorities to introduce mortgages and secondly allowing local authorities to build council houses?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm grateful to, to my honourable friend uh, who has uh, pushed this matter for many years since he was a local authority uh, leader The the, the decline in mortgage lending that has taken place is mainly as a result of the loss of capacity in the mortgage market. So even if existing banks are lending more to homeowners, the loss of foreign and other capacity in the market makes it more difficult for people to get uh, mortgages at a price they can afford. That's why we're saying that local authorities who already have the power to issue mortgages should be encouraged to do so. That's why the Minister for Housing has announced a a lowering of the standard interest rate and we're now considering what more we can do to support individuals and households meet their housing needs. So I hope that the answer I give them on what is his 68th birthday is an acceptable one. I'm Thank
2: you, Mr Speaker. The South East Plan will change the face of Guildford forever. Out of 74 <coughs> local authorities, over half the responses to the consultations so far have come from concerned Guildford residents. Will the Prime Minister tell us just how many people need to say no before he will scrap this ill-thought-out, ill-conceived and unsustainable South-East Plan? How many?
1: Mr Speaker, I think she would also accept that the 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 draft plan designates Guildford as a regional hub, as a focus for transport growth and for investment and that these changes were made following the recommendations of the independent panel of inspectors who examined the draft plan. The final plan will be published in the spring. The Government is still looking at the responses to the consultation. The Government remains committed to the Green Belt, and this is a selective review of part of the Metropolitan Green Belt, and we will listen to all responses that have been made.
3: Golenbergen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree that the threat to British workers does not come from other European workers? It comes from the workings of the unregulated capitalism that is enshrined in the... Mr Speaker, there can be no cross-party consensus. But yeah. well, what I'm asking the Prime Minister is, will he support calls to reform the uh, uh, Posting? <laughs> You've knocked me off balance. The posted workers' directive in order to bring some fairness back into the workplace. Yeah.
1: Uh, we, 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 we all agree about the need for reform in financial uh, regulation, uh, and we will be announcing further plans to do so very soon. Uh, but I think he agrees with me that this has got to happen at an international level as well as a national level, and I hope the Conservatives will recognise that. As far as the posted workers' director is concerned, an expert review has been set up within the European Union to look at the impact of the Laval, Viking and other judgments. Uh, there is also a group of employers and the workforces meeting to review that at the same time, and when they reach their conclusions, uh, we will look at what they have to say.
0: Is
2: it responsibility for the past, or concerns for the future, that the Prime Minister thinks is a dominant influence on its poll rating and the fear on the faces of those behind him?
1: <laughs> m- m- Mr Speaker, the answer to the problems we have today is not to do nothing as the Conservative Party did. I, 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 I have the manifesto of the Conservative group in the European Parliament, and what does it start by saying? The financial and economic crisis should not be taken as an excuse for doing nothing. Even, even the European Conservatives agree on the need for action. Tasha Engel.
2: Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Free bus travel for the over-60s has given thousands of pensioners in Derbyshire their lives back. Many, though, are absolutely furious that some unscrupulous bus companies seem to be issuing tickets for far longer journeys than people have actually made, and then overcharging local authorities. Can the Prime Minister reassure pensioners in Derbyshire that any such practice will not jeopardise a service that many, many older people have come to rely on.
1: Mr Speaker, this extension of free travel and concessionary travel to elderly people is one of the emancipating forces of our time because it allows people to travel round the country and not just in the local area. We have invested 212 million in this new extra funding for travel. If there is any fraud problem that she brings to the attention of the Secretary for Transport, he will, of course, look at it. But the truth is, this is a big investment in older people to help them become more mobile in the later years of their lives.
0: Yeah. Butterfield, Mr. Speaker, uh, just over a week ago, I tabled a question to the <laughs> Chancellor of the Exchequer asking about the scrutiny and conditions imposed by the Financial Services Authority when the Chelsea Building Society sought to establish an offshore bank in Guernsey. Uh, I received a reply from the member for Dudley South saying the matters raised in this question are the responsibility of the Financial Services Authority whose day-to-day operations are independent from government control and influence. Mr Mr. Speaker, in the nearly 26 years I've been in this House, I've never known a senior minister refuse to answer a question on a subject where he had responsibility. I'm sure, I'm sure that the... I am sure that the Prime Minister when he created the Financial Services Authority did not intend it to be exempt from scrutiny by this house and I would be grateful if he would confirm
1: that. L- L- Mr Speaker we did set up a unified financial services authority and we gave them legi- we gave them legislative power in this House of Commons to take the action that was necessary to deal with the regulation of individual institutions. Of course we are now looking at both the powers and the responsibility of the Financial Services Authority for the future. If he wishes to raise this individual matter with me, I am very happy to look at it, and I know that the Chairman for the Financial Services Authority will be writing to him soon.
0: Mr. President, uh,
2: with between 35 and 60 per cent of the agricultural industry now destroyed across the Gaza Strip, and with only one crossing point open to import goods. uh, Will my right hon. Friend ask the Israelis why they are ignoring the pleas of UNRWA and NGOs like Oxfam and the World Food Programme uh, to open all the crossings so that the humanitarian crisis
0: on the Strip can be properly met?
1: He, he, He is absolutely right that the Israeli government have a responsibility to help humanitarian help get into the Gaza area, I've just written to uh, Prime Minister Olmert asking him to take urgent action to make sure that the crossings are open so that the lorry lorry roads of uh, help can be brought into the area. Uh, I'm urging him to open the crossings but also to provide proper humanitarian access. Uh, I think people know that the UK has trebled its humanitarian efforts. I've been talking to leaders in the Arab countries about what more they can do. There is a conference in Egypt over the next few days Uh, to pool the resources so that humanitarian help is available not just for immediate aid but also to rebuild the Gaza area. And I believe that all members of the House will want to see aid getting into Gaza as quickly as possible.
0: Andrew
2: George. Uh, The Competition uh, Commission reported uh, last year that the large supermarkets, and I quote, transfer excessive risk and unexpected costs to their suppliers, damaging consumer interests and to the detriment of farmers and growers, both here and in the developing world. Does the Prime Minister agree that the Competition Commission's proposed remedies to tackle this particular problem should be implemented now without any further delay? is yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely right to, to highlight this uh, problem. Uh, first of all, in uh, the uh, failure to introduce early payment to many of the suppliers... Uh, and we are asking the supermarkets to do that. Secondly, in relation to developing countries, we have been in talks with supermarkets like ASDA about how they can source their produce from these countries at a fair price, and we will continue to push that as quickly as possible.
0: Mr Francis. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On February the 12th, a globalisation report will be published by the Welsh Affairs Committee. One of the key themes of the evidence we received from witnesses was the importance attached to higher level skills to build the knowledge economy. When the report is published, would the Prime Minister give serious consideration to its recommendations, particularly in the context of the restructuring now in the steel industry and the demands by the steel unions for better opportunities for skills training, and also in the context of the coal industry, where, where that industry is now reviving and there could potentially be a skills shortage? And would you agree...
1: Prime Minister I I, I agree with him about the the need for more investment in skills and training in Wales and the rest of the country Wales has developed through the Assembly a new programme called uh, PROACT to help people stay in jobs rather than be made unemployed Uh, and a great deal of work is being done by us uh, to look at that scheme and how it could apply to other parts of the United Kingdom uh, we are also putting aside £250 million for training opportunities during the course of this uh, downturn and we are determined to do everything we can to help people get into the jobs that are available. Brian Binley.
2: Thank you Mr Speaker. A quarter of all council tax is now used to pay for local authority pensions. A former chief executive of Northamptonshire County Council left his job 18 months ago at the age of 52 with a lump sum payment of £291,000 and £97,000 a year index-linked pension, which cost the county £600,000. Nice work if you can get it, Mr Speaker. When will this government have the courage to tackle this national pension outrage?
1: Mr. Speaker, I I think the first thing I should say to him is it is a Conservative council that he's referring to. The the second thing is that most most local authority workers do not have that level of pension entitlement. And I, I I hope that the Conservative Party are not going to make the mistake of identifying one case as representative of what's happening to ordinary local authority workers who do, as we found with the emergency services, a good job when they're called upon to do so.
3: Mr. Speaker, rumour has it that the Under Secretary of State for Transport will be in the North East next week to launch the initial implementation of the Local Transport Act 2008. This is a good Labour Act which has the potential to bring about the biggest improvement in public transport for many decades. But is my right honourable friend aware that the party opposite are committed to repeal this Act if they ever come to power, and is that not just one more good reason for people to vote Labour at every
1: possible opportunity? <laughs> uh, Mr Speaker, I, I, I'm, sur- I'm, surprised about the, I'm surprised about the Conservative attitude uh, to public transport and particularly the need to improve bus services around the country. I believe the new Transport Act has been widely welcomed because it recognises that country buses, particularly, are a lifeline to many communities. And the Act is about giving options to local authorities, not being prescriptive about what they should do. And it's for the local authorities to take advantage of the new powers. And he is telling me that Labour local authorities will take that advantage. I hope Conservative authorities will serve their public as well. Patrick as the, As the Prime Minister is understandably anxious... To exercise national leadership in these difficult times, and as he must understand that national leadership depends upon a degree of consensus, will he invite my right honourable friend, the Leader of the Opposition, and the Leader of the Dem- Liberal Democrats, to Number 10 Downing Street to see if common ground can be found among them? I'm, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid it's been very difficult to find common ground even across the dispatch box today on how we deal with the problems of the economy he may remember uh, that in October there was talk of uh, all parties working together to solve the economic problem Uh, he and uh, and his uh, uh, shadow ministers were given access to the Bank of England and to the Treasury to find out what's happening unfortunately a week later they withdrew their support uh, for this I am very happy to work with all parties to deal with the problems we face I'm very happy to work with all parties so that we can have the fiscal stimulus that is necessary and I'm happy to work with all parties to ensure that we invest properly in the future and I hope the Conservative Party could therefore change its position on these issues so that that cooperation could happen. Yeah. Yeah. There is
0: a presentation of bills. Honorable gentlemen. members please the chamber quietly.